For decades, many Oregonians were told one story about how a small endangered bird, the northern spotted owl, played an outsized role in undercutting counties that depend on timber revenue to fund schools, libraries, and other public services. But that wasn't and isn't the whole story. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, the Oregonian and Oregon Live's Rob Davis and OPB's Tony Schick discuss their joint investigation into how big money bought up private forest land in western Oregon and how those investment companies benefited from long-forgotten tax breaks that ultimately cost these rural communities billions. Davis and Schick are investigative reporters who've covered the environment in Oregon for years. They teamed up for this project and partnered with ProPublica, the nonprofit investigative news organization. We talked about the project, what the tax breaks have meant to timber towns across the state, how the relationship between big timber in these towns is changing, why they focused on Falls City, a tiny town in the hills of Oregon's coast range, and much more. Here's that conversation. Tony Schick, Rob Davis, thanks for taking time to chat today. Congratulations on the story. It's really well done. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. I thought uh, you could just start out by describing how this project came about. You two are obviously investigative reporters who have been covering environmental and forestry issues for years, but how did this specific story uh, come about? Rob and I have both been covering uh, the environment for, for almost the same same amount of time. And uh, one thing that always struck me in covering the environment uh, here in Oregon, uh, especially forestry, is this disconnect I saw with the fact that everyone talked about the timber industry as if it was dead and, and gone. And, and just as someone who grew up in Oregon, that was the narrative that I knew. Uh, and then meanwhile, I, I, I would I would see that, you know, timber was valuable enough, the trees and the land was valuable enough that people were actually choosing to invest in it. Um, and it, I just, you know, started thinking, well, how can those two things be both be true if this is such a valuable commodity and people are still making lots of money off of it why do we talk about this industry like it's like it's dead uh and that was that was one thing i wanted to look into and uh i was fortunate enough to get um um on with propublica uh where they um allowed me to look into one particular topic for uh for you know up to a year and uh and as I started, you know, noodling around uh, some of these topics, bumped into Rob, and uh, and we decided to, uh, rather than, you know, try and beat each other up, decided to put our heads together. I mean, we've, we've been competing with each other kind of off and on for, for seven years, um, and I think that what we've found, um, you know, in, in reporting together on this is that we're, we're far, actually far stronger reporting um, you know, as one, then, then trying to beat the other person to the punch a little bit. And, you know, I, I think that, that our coverage for the past seven years has looked at, um, kind of offshoots of this larger question, you know, and, and, and I think we're trying to take a little bit more of a holistic look at, you know, the, the, the timber industry, the state of it and the impact on Oregonians and their environment. Now, earlier this year, you solicited 
kind of responses from folks um, who either worked in the industry or lived in some of these towns across the state that are quote unquote timber towns. What were the responses like from that? Uh, did you hear back from folks and did that inform your reporting? Yeah, we heard back from a lot of people. Uh, I think something like more than 600 people. Wow. And so responses were, were all over the place. Um, so many different you know perspectives and this particular topic was something that we knew a little bit about before that, but certainly heard from more people and heard from people about this. Uh, a few of the people in this story we found through that call out, got in touch with us because of that. One of them being um, a woman named uh, Penelope Kasmerick on the coast whose father was a mill owner and, and warned her it's not going to be good things if all of the local timber companies are gone and, and you've got a landscape dominated by large corporations. And, uh, and that's what she sees today in Lincoln County. Uh, we also heard from a woman in Lane County named Helen Kennedy, who was, who was, uh, you know, worried about her taxes and, and the amount of tax she pays compared to, uh, the amount of tax that's paid by Weyerhaeuser, which is the, the biggest landowner in her school district. Rob, you, you both mentioned that you knew a little bit about this topic before, and I guess um, I didn't know anything about this topic, but what is the severance tax? Can you describe that to folks? Um, because I think it kind of blew a hole in what's been this narrative in the state for decades that, you know, logging on uh, federal lands and the spotted howl habitat was really a critical point Um which it, it still is, but it's not the only part of the story, right? Right. I mean, you know, when, when you think about the forest landscape, there are different classes of ownership. There are the federal forests, you know, the Umpqua, the Sayus Law. There are state forests, the Tillamook and Clatsop. And there are private forests, which are owned by companies like Weyerhaeuser, Hancock Forest Management. And, you know, the, the, the wealthy timber families um, and the large investment companies. And uh, in, until the 1990s, when those large companies cut trees down, they paid uh, taxes on it. And it's called a severance tax. The idea is that when you sever the natural resource from the land, you're, you know, um, paying uh, a tax on it. That money went to counties and schools. And, you know, in, in this state, the, the narrative has been that the endangered species listing of the spotted owl in the 1990s, in the early 1990s, is, is responsible for, for kneecapping uh, the, the timber industry in the state. And, and it did um, bring logging on those federal lands, which were a huge source of logs and um, timber to the to the state and to mills. It did bring that, you know, almost to a halt. Mm-hmm. But at almost the same time, the industry was lobbying to eliminate the severance tax, and they were successful in doing that. And the, the impact of that in the analysis um, that, that Tony has been able to do shows that that has cost Oregon 
billions of dollars since then. And in some counties, the elimination of that tax has delivered a far greater financial hit than the slowdown in logging on federal forests ever did. And, and I think that that is, um, a, it was to me a surprising finding. It was not something that I was aware of. And it, 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 you know, undercuts the, the narrative right. that has been told in this state for, for generations. It's not just the spotted owl that has left Oregon communities, you know, without the money to keep their libraries open or prisoners in jail. It's also the timber industry's uh, very savvy lobbying efforts that have played a role, a, a, a major role as well. So, Tony, the findings in your reporting on the total effect of the severance tax cuts over time are pretty mind-blowing. And you found that ultimately half of the 18 counties you looked at lost more money um, from these cuts than they did from spotted owl um, habitat? Yeah, and that that also involved looking at uh, losses from property taxes because uh, forest lands are assessed differently than uh, your property taxes or my property taxes. Uh, It also involved looking at how much money did these counties lose from the spotted owl, which is also tricky because you have to kind of figure out okay, what, what payment would they these counties have been getting from the federal government? So for that, what we did is we took, you know, for the 30 years before the spotted owl, what payment were counties getting? And there's all these huge spikes. So we took the median, the middle number, mm-hmm. and projected it forward. And so for some counties, the, predictably the counties with a lot more federal forest land, they had more losses from the spotted owl but then there are other counties like Polk County, uh, where a lot of our reporting is focused, that have a lot, a large percentage of private forest land, and they lost a lot more money uh, from from these tax cuts than from the spotted owl. You also have places like Columbia County, where you know their their budget was in a in a place that you know a few years ago they were forced releasing inmates from jail uh, because they didn't have funds for that and. That county is something like ninety percent private forest land. Uh, it's 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 almost exclusively private forest land, and so the effects there were were much less from the spotted owl. What you're describing is it seems to be a monumental turning point uh, in revenue generation from forests, uh, especially you know private forests in Oregon. But was it? treated that way from your reporting at the time? And do people today uh, who are involved, uh, like Governor Kitzhaber, uh, look back and say, wow, that was really a big turning point? I, I think that that the, the change fundamentally altered the relationship between um, private forest lands and Oregon's communities. Um, and, I, and I don't think that it has been recognized that way. You know, uh, uh, we talked to, to one county commissioner who said, you know, it's, it's not like we let them cut the trees down for free, but largely we do. Um, and, and that is the reality in Oregon. It's, it's not like that in Washington or California. I mean, what we found in interview after interview 
are that most of the players who were involved in this don't remember that they did it. Uh, John Kitzhaber is the governor at the time. Said he didn't re- remember signing the, the tax break. Uh, I talked to his forest policy advisor at the time. He didn't remember it. The uh, lawmaker who introduced the bill, uh, who's now the, the president of the Oregon Environmental Council, didn't remember it either. I mean, it's a, a billion-dollar tax cut that, that no one seems to remember happened. How did you settle on focusing on Fall City and Polk County? I'm going to say kind of a, a, a running uh, gag as we've been reporting is that like all roads lead back to Falls City. So many different uh, things as we've been reporting, so many things that have come up have just uh, pointed back to Falls City and to Polk County. Uh, at first, I was looking at counties that had a significant drop off of uh, jobs uh, from timber uh, and Polk County was a county that had one of the biggest percentages of drops in jobs, according to the Oregon Economic Analysis Department. But then, curiously, Polk County, if you look at its timber harvest, not just for private lands, but its total timber harvest, it's it's gone, it's trended up since the spotted owl, uh, which is, you know, not not what you would expect and also not the case in many other counties. And so that made it a, a really interesting uh, case study. You know, we visited Fall City and spoke to people there and realized that so many of the issues they were dealing with, which was struggling to support themselves, this big industry in their backyard, struggling to kind of connect with the industry or or maintain the connection with the industry and with the force that they used to, they represented a lot. And and in fact, at one point, the city manager in, in Fall City said, I don't think this is so much the Fall City story as it is the timber town in Oregon story. Uh so that that's how we landed there. How many other fall cities are there out there in Oregon? That's <laughs> it's a good question. A lot. <laughs> there, there are a lot of, of timber dependent communities that are were dependent on the industry that, that that no longer are that have seen the job you know the mills close and the jobs dry up and um, where where logging may still be booming. But, but locals are not reaping, reaping the benefits of it. Let's take a break and then come back and talk a little bit more with Rob and Tony. You know, I, I think the, the name Weyerhaeuser means a lot across the state or, you know, it may be used to, but how, how has that company changed in the past two decades, uh, you know, to... Um, make itself, I guess, more profitable with how Oregon has has changed its forest policies. Rob, you want to take that one? Sure. I mean, there's been great consolidation in the industry, and 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 no better case study of that than Weyerhaeuser. It is the largest forest land owner in Oregon today. Oregon is its number one. Uh, state for its timber holdings. Um, you know, it, it's a company that owns a, a tremendous swath of, uh, of forest lands in Oregon. They reorganized as a real estate investment trust. This is a publicly traded company. They organized as a, reorganized as a real estate investment trust in 2010. 
um, which gives them a more favorable um, federal tax treatment. You know, they're paying out hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in profits to to their shareholders that come from logging in Oregon, Washington, or any of the many states where they where they have where they have forest land. What you see from Weyerhaeuser and companies like it is a um, you know a drastic change over time in the way that they are logging the state's forests. These are um, lands that, you know, for a small company that had some trees and had a mill, there was a symbiotic relationship there. And they had an interest in ensuring, you know, a steady supply of good logs to the mill. The way that the, the timber industry has changed is that there has been a divorce in that relationship in many cases where the forests are owned as forests and the companies that may be doing milling are um, not the same people that own the forest. Mm. And, um, and so they're being managed, you know, as, as the two most prominent forest ecologists in the Northwest told us, they're being managed for capital return. They're not being managed for the other values that you may get from a forest land, like carbon sequestration or wildlife uh, diversity or any of the many benefits that can come from forests they're being managed for capital return the, that that means that that trees are being cut you know about every 40 years sometimes younger than that when in the past in you know the not too distant past they were standing for you know 70 or 80 years before they were cut down so there have been um you know, major changes in the way that the industry does business um, in, in, in Oregon. Well, I was just going to uh, jump in on what Rob had said. He was talking about how it's been, it's, it was pointed out to us that these forests aren't managed for the other things that they can provide, uh, like, you know, some of the ecosystem stuff they can provide, carbon, et cetera. But they're also not even being managed to provide the highest wood supply in terms of quantity or quality. Uh, and so it, you know, it's not a matter of log or don't log the way that, you know, the, uh, the timber debate often ends up in Oregon is, is jobs versus the environment. Mm -hmm. This is a matter of, you know, are we, are we getting out of our landscape? What, what we really can, and are we, are we really getting the most out of the resources that we have? The argument from somebody like Jerry Franklin, who's been, uh, studying Northwest forests for longer than I've been alive and is older than most of the Douglas fir trees that are left in Oregon. <laughs> A sad fact. Is, uh, is saying that if you, you know, you can still uh, manage these, you know, intensively, you can still have a, a big harvest. You can still clear cut, but grow them longer and you'll get more out of them both for wood, for you know, jobs, and then you'll get carbon uh, more wildlife habitat, all, all of the things that you want these forests to provide. It's not; it doesn't have to be a trade-off. The only the only thing that, that that then is missing in that is is the capital return for these companies, and and that's I think a, a key point to hit. You know, I mean, we talked to to a logger who said the challenge with wood out of a Douglas fir used to be that you'd put a nail into it and you'd bend the nail 
and and now it is that you'll put a nail into it and you'll split the wood um and and i think that you know that the studies that we have seen show that if you are allowing a stand to grow to 70 years that on average on an annual basis you can get more wood out of it more wood to go to the mills if you leave it for 70 years and thin it along the way than if you just you know clear cut it every 40 every 35 we've heard of one that was you know done after 32 years um and so you know that's a, a little bit of a window into what that means uh you hit on this a little bit i think earlier but what role does the timber industry play today in some of these counties that you highlighted like Polk and Lincoln, but it's also Douglas and Coos and, you know, any number of Western Oregon counties. Yeah. So, I mean, you go to some of these, some of these towns that used to be thriving timber towns like Falls City and the industry feels, uh, it feels like a ghost. Like you've got these kind of markers of what it used to be, but you've got a lot less happening um, on the ground. And yet there are still, you know, in a lot of these places, Timber isn't giving them what they used to be, but it's still the, in a lot of ways, the best thing that they have. So you go to some of these, um, these counties and, you know, timber might be still, you know, the, the jobs might've plummeted, the revenue might've plummeted from, from what it was from, you know, any number of reasons, owl automation, uh, tax that we, as we've discussed, um, but it's not like these counties have something else to, to to turn to statewide, the tech tech jobs, the tech boom basically offset the loss of timber jobs, but those were all concentrated in the metro area. So, so a lot of these counties, you know, they they are still they still identify as as timber communities. You know, guys, we we are so accustomed in Oregon to seeing our elected officials, whether it's Peter DeFazio or Greg Walden, railing from the halls of Congress, you know, going to bat for timber counties, trying to get payments toward, you know, replacing some of that lost revenue. What do they have to say, if anything at all, about either your findings or about the state of of uh, these timber towns like Fall City or, you know, Oak Ridge or, you know, any other towns around the state? You know, the Secure Rural Schools Act and, um, you know, what amounts to sort of federal welfare payments to, to rural counties in Oregon, um, you know, has, has, um, I mean, for, for a place like Douglas County, that's their largest source of money in their county budget. You know, they've got a lot of federal forest there. Logging there went away. Um, you know, the, the very, uh, oversimplified debate that happens in Oregon, uh, the oversimplified public policy debate is, um, you know, whether the cut should be up or the cut should be down. Should we log more or should we log less? And what people don't really ask in the state is how could we log more intelligently? How could we do it better? How could we do it smarter? How could we do it in a way that has the most public benefit and and so um i i think that that this reporting kind of shines a light on 
the need for that kind of discussion and and it it has not happened i mean this is you know a state where the timber industry gives more money in terms of sheer dollars and per capita to state lawmakers than anywhere else in the country and i think that that kind of informs the um tone and tenor of the debate that happens on timber politics and timber policy in the state capital. You know, how how does all the, you know, the work that you've done for years, both of you looking at this industry, now you add this to the top of it, like how out of step is Oregon with, you know, our Western counterparts and what should we be doing that we're not? I mean, Oregon has the weakest logging laws on the West Coast. I mean, 70% of the streams in Oregon have no protection from clear cutting. You know, in Washington, the buffers around streams are turning, you know, though they will one day turn into old growth forests. They're being left there in perpetuity. The, the, the rationale behind doing that, I think, is that you would get more investment from timber companies here. You would get more jobs. Uh, from timber companies here, perhaps you would get more tax revenue if the cut was up here. But you don't. You, you know, there's not a tax benefit um, to Weyerhaeuser increasing how much it logs on an annual basis. In, in, you know, in Oregon, these companies can take more and give less, and and I think that that's a, a pretty profound statement on the, the power that the timber industry has, has had here. You know, this is happening in Washington and California. They would be cutting fewer trees. They would be leaving more protections for endangered species and songbird habitat. Um, and on top of that, governments would be getting more money uh, from the logging that does happen. And, and, and so, you know, in, in, in nearly every respect we have, um, the, the the most industry friendly policies and and it's not really clear what um, the return to the public is for that. And Tony, do you think that in some of these you know industry towns like the one you highlighted, Fall City, that some of that shine is wearing off? That some of what Rob just mentioned, um, you know, we're getting a raw deal here is evident to folks because that came across uh, in your reporting. Yeah, there are certainly places where, where that's the case. Um, you know, what stands out is, uh, is being in the general store in Falls City and, uh, and, you know, talking with a woman who, and a customer comes in and she just introduces, uh, introduces us and she says, oh, he's, you know, uh, this is Tony from OB is here to learn about what our town gets from the timber industry. And, and the guy just launches in and says, Not, you know, we don't get anything from this. They just take our resources and, and we don't get much from it. We found a lot of that sentiment. I mean, certainly there is, there's a lot of support for the industry still. I mean, you know, there, there are, you know, you drive through these towns and there are timber unity yard signs, um, things like that. And so, uh, I mean, I think a lot of these people, we talked to, to people who felt a little bit torn, that they felt like, you know, they were proud of their timber town's heritage and, and they were proud of their, uh, of timber and, and want the healthy timber industry. And then at the same time uh, are looking at the fact that they, you know, are seeing log trucks roll through 
uh, carrying wealth out of their town rather than into it, that that clearly has has you know created some frustration over time watching that. What do you hope people take away from your story? My my hope is that is that people have a, a better understanding of the dynamics that you know underlay the relationship between one of the state's most dominant industries, the industry that built Oregon as we know it, it is deeply ingrained in the state's identity. And and I I hope that people walk away from this with a better understanding of what the modern industry, what Oregon gets from it and and what the nature of the relationship is in 2020. Yeah, I, I, I hope we uh, are able to spark a, a better, more, more informed discussion about what Oregon gets out of its forests or, 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 or Oregon's forests are what they are our best natural resource. Um, they are, they're, you know, incredible in a lot of ways and, you know, can be more productive than any forests in the world. And, uh, and we have those, and yet we also have towns that, whether they're surrounded by private forest or federal forest, we have towns that are in the middle of this incredibly productive, incredibly valuable resource that are going broke. And uh, I think we should take a, a hard look at why that is. Well, thank you both for your reporting and for taking the time to talk about it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Read Rob and Tony's investigation. I dropped a link in the episode notes. And if you work in the timber industry or live in a county affected by these issues, shoot them a note. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or review in iTunes. It helps others find the program. Until next time.